listening to the Over Six Sports Podcast. Good evening. It's Wednesday, March 31st. This is the Over Six Sports Podcast. As always, I'm Zach the Bandit Burke, and with me is the Turf King, Cameron Charlton. How are we doing tonight, Cam? I mean, we're doing really good tonight. Uh, first off, you always say the date, and it's Wednesday. By the time anybody listens to this, it's going to be Thursday. So I don't know. Yeah, if that well, helps they got to know. No, it does because what if we talk about like the Leafs are winning tonight, and they're like, "Oh, it's Thursday," and they're listening to it. They got to know when the Leafs are winning, or when the Habs are winning, or what the timeline is. Yeah, but the first thing they're going to hear is good afternoon, good evening. It's Wednesday and it's not going to be. It's going to be Thursday. So Yeah, well, that's what we're recording. So they got to know. Fine. Okay. We can I can change it. It's Thursday when you're li- Now, what if they're listening to it on a Saturday? That's true, but it's they're still not listening to it Wednesday. It doesn't get released till Thursday. It's just Yeah, well, a bad, they, bad start to the pod. No, they know when we're recording. It's Wednesday, <laughs> March 31st. So anyway, so Cam, you're doing well. Yeah, you chose do, violence. Doing... You woke up and you chose violence right off the start of the pod. <laughs> well, it's it's been a rough week. I'm on a bit of a cooler. It was a rough week overall. NCAA didn't help. NBA hurt. NHL wasn't good. I mean, I spent too much of this week really trying to hit parlays, and it was four for five, five for six, two for three. Yeah, I'm on a bit of a cooler this week, so it's a little down, and uh, hopefully we'll get back on track this coming week. So. I mean, well, yeah, I I'm gonna start it. off with violence when I'm when I'm doing this bad betting. It's not it's not fun. You're just you you, you just gotta be in your bonnet because McDavid just suckered your boy Cockney Emmy last night. That's why you're all pissed off today. I mean, if this is Tom Wilson, are we not talking about a ten plus game suspension and McDavid oh, gets it's... hit with a five thousand dollar fine? The guy <laughs> makes thirty five thousand dollars a day, a day. What is a five thousand dollar fine to McDavid? If the NHL is going to let him do this, why is he not going to go out and elbow guys in the face every game? Oh, here's five grand NHL. I saw a tweet that basically was like, for like a normal guy who makes $40,000, $50,000 a year, this is a $20 fine in comparison with McDavid's salary, right? Like, and I watched, I looked at it a couple of times and I was like, oh, it kind of looks like he got the shoulder and came around with the elbow at the end. It's still a dirty hit. I mean, it wasn't, I don't know. I mean, I think you're right. It's Tom Wilson. I think it's... First of all, there's a scrap. Like, nobody even touched McDavid after that, so. Well, I mean, but what are you going to do? Elbow. You're seriously going to go go after McDavid? The NHL is probably going to suspend you for a ton of games if you try and go after McDavid for a hit. I mean, I didn't like the hit. I don't know if I expected him to be suspended. I don't think the NHL would have been wrong if they gave him one or two, but I didn't really see it happening. I kind of saw a fine was going to be the way to go. But if you're looking at it like $20 for me and you, if we did that, so McDavid's allowed to go elbow people for what the cost of lunch is. I think he'd, yeah. he'd be happy fine going and doing that every game. So pretty sure I've I lost mean, like twenty dollars on the golf course like on Saturday. So it was like that's the equivalent, right? Which is just nuts. But hey, what can you do? Uh, Habs Habs got a good win last night anyway. So you're probably happy about that. Yeah, and I'm uh, pretty happy moving into our headlines about some of the Dolphins moves. I mean, we had the SGP guys on here last week. We got them talking a little bit Dolphins and. Uh, they kind of shuck up the draft well in advance, so anybody who's doing their mock drafts got a little a little time to prepare now. So the trades started off with, they made the first trade with San Fran, traded the number three for the number 12, a 2022 first, a 2023 first, and a 2021 third. They then moved that pick to the Eagles, 
for they moved that and the 2022 pick to the Eagles for the sixth overall. So at the end of the day, they moved three picks to get an extra third and an extra first. What are your thoughts on that whole thing, Burke? Well, I mean, at the time, I was really like when they made the trade with San Fran, I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like we're we're adding two first rounders. Um, you know, I was a little disappointed because I was, you know, I think that anybody who's a Dolphins fan is hoping for, you know, that wide receiver help or whoever, you know, even if you get pits as a tight end, you, you have options, right? Like we're, we need that kind of explosive um, person for our receiver core. So, you know, at 12, there's still some options there, but like any of these high profile guys are gone at that point. Right. And at third, considering that, you know, the first pick and the second pick are probably going to be quarterbacks. At, at third, you knew that you basically would have your pick of whoever you wanted, whether it was Smith or Chase or whoever. Don't matter. Like you have, you basically have the whole, the whole, you know, caboodle to choose from. Um, so that made sense. And then they traded uh, down back to the sixth. And I was like, man, what is going on here? Like, and I, and I was trying to figure it out. And so then I'm like, okay, so they obviously don't want to draft 12th because they moved up to six. They're, they're still thinking they're going to get their guy at six. Um, and at the end of the day, they got an extra first round pick. Now they have a ton of first round picks. So the first thought for you and me was, is that we had talked about was, you know, do they have the draft capital that they need to go out and get Deshaun now? Yeah. I mean, that was the first thought at first when they did the San Fran movie, you're like, they could move a first in the next three drafts plus Tua and still have a first pick in every draft. So now you're moved to a three first rounders and you're only giving up a first in one draft. So that's kind of your thought. I don't know if Watson's going to get moved anytime soon with everything going on, but yeah, that was kind of our first thought. It, it seemed really exciting that Deshaun Watson, you had the draft capital to even overpay for him and still not kill your future or your team. Well, that was something that we had had talked about, right? Because when we saw the asking price of uh, what the Texans wanted for Deshaun Watson, we were like, why would anybody pay that? Like, And even you were saying, like, if we're losing all of our first-round picks, we don't get to do anything with our with our depth. Um, and so he'll be in a sim- – like, we're basically sacrificing kind of a deep team just for a, a better quarterback, which doesn't seem like a good long-term thing to do. Um, but now with the trades and everything that's happened, you look at it and you're like, geez, man, like we only have to give up one of our first round picks in the next three years. And that's assuming we don't get any first round picks back for any other trade. Um, I mean, circling back a little bit, but this Laramie Tunsil deal from a few years ago is, has paid massive dividends, massive. The bong mask guy is re single-handedly rebuilding the Miami's draft coverage. Well, that's the craziest thing about it. Laramie Tunsil was a top five pick projected that draft. That mask thing comes out. He drops to Miami at 13, and now they've turned him into like four first-rounders and a third. I mean, they've moved some of those first-rounders around, but still, what they got for a guy who really shouldn't have even fell to them in the draft is just crazy. Well, and he's still a pro bowler, right? Like, he, he's still a really good player, and that's all fine and dandy. So, like, at the time, you know, it, it seemed like it was a good deal. Um, but Miami's, you know, front office and Chris Greer and – they, they've done a really, really good job, you know, managing, you know, man, obviously managing the team, moving draft picks, trying to find spots of need. But any team that's rebuilding, I mean, I'm happy enough with Miami's. I mean, we, I would have liked to make the playoffs last year, obviously. I think everybody would have. Um, but you can see the progression in a team. And to have that sort of draft capital, it just makes it a really exciting time to be a Miami fan. 
and uh and look out in the AFCs, man. If we can get a few more get a few more weapons and and really start to beef up this uh beef up this team, then we're gonna be chasing down the Bills for first place in no time. Yeah, there will be lots more Miami talk come our draft preview show as they're going to still be one of the teams who's really interesting. They still got a ton of picks. I still think they have four in the top 50, so it'll be fun. And they still Moving might trade, in, by the way. Sorry yeah, to interrupt, but they, they, they still might trade from six. Who knows? Yeah, I think six is a good spot, but again, we'll get to that later at a later date when it's a little more important and maybe we'll have new, more news from then. Kind of had a trade in the NHL in the last week, too. The Habs picked up Eric Stahl, which is kind of an interesting move. They gave up a third and a fifth. But if you looked at Montreal, they had like 13 picks going into this draft. They still have two third-round picks. They still have two fifth-round picks. So really, they didn't give up anything, really, for Eric Stahl, especially in a year where the draft capital, you don't know how much it's worth when most of these prospects aren't playing. Well, and it's it's... It's kind of like an uh, and it's an interesting trade for sure. I mean, Buffalo is obviously sellers because they've lost eighteen games, seventeen games in a row, whatever it is, until tonight where they're going to win. And um, you know, like the, I just don't see how that's a big. I don't see how it's a huge difference maker for the Habs. Honestly, like it's it's yeah, it's a depth move. I look at similar to you know the Leafs picking up Spetzer or whoever, right? Kind of that fourth you know, that fourth line depth, maybe he's better than, than I'm thinking, but um, I don't know. I, I, I was more interested in the, that they had signed Caulfield. I thought that was a pretty cool move that, that I could see maybe moving the needle if he has success in the AHL, but the Eric Stahl thing, I was like, okay, so they get him at a, at a cheap price. If he, if he can perform even at, you know, half of his best, then that's not a bad depth move. Yeah. I think you probably haven't realized that he's actually been really good for the wild in the last three years. He had 42 goals in 17, 18. He's still over 50 points the last two years, right around that 20 goal mark. And the big thing he helps out with is we've talked before on this pod that Montreal center is super young. He has that kind of veteran down the middle. When you have Kakaniemi who's in his third year, Suzuki's in his second, Evans is his first. He really helps that down the center where they really need some help and a veteran presence. And you, you have to look away from what he's done this year. Buffalo's just so bad that I don't think you can look at anything that anybody on that team's done this year. So even last year, 19 goals, 28 assists, and 66 games. Like, that's still quite good production from him. How old so is if he, he slots, anyway? Did you know how old he is? I think he's 36. Yeah, he's 36. He's so, older than I thought, man, honestly. Like, I would have said he's like, well, I guess he's been around the league forever, though. Well, he was on the Stanley Cup winning team in what, 2006 for Carolina? Like he's been yeah. in the league that <laughs> yeah. long. Yeah. So when you look at it that way, so I mean, it's super low risk. You're paying nothing. It's a depth piece. Even if he doesn't play and you put him on the taxi squad or whatever, it's another piece. You got Corey Perry who's been on the taxi squad. Michael Froelich finally got into his first game. You had Eric Stahl. Good veterans who can come in and out of the lineup, help that depth. And I think that's where Montreal is really good right now is their depth. So I don't think it hurts to add to that, especially with a veteran presence like Stahl. So the last kind of trade news we're going to get into is it was the uh, NBA trade deadline and the Raps made a couple moves, couple no name moves. I'd say Matt Thomas doesn't move the needle. Terrence no. Davis, although he showed signs, doesn't move the needle. But the big one was Norm being moved. And I know Norm's a guy who you, you're a huge fan of. And I mean, yeah. most Raptors fans are. So uh, I'll pass that along to you and get your take on that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those unfortunate things in any league where you have a, a salary cap. And 
Um, you know, the Raptors have invested big money into Pascal, big money into Fred Van Vliet. And frankly, there was just no money available for Norm Powell. He's having such a good year and he's turned into such a good player. I mean, this guy's a, a bonafide starter. I think that's pretty fair to say. Uh, if not, he's a five, you know, five, maybe a sixth man. But still, he, he's, you know, this, this is why Portland picked him up. I mean, the guy can shoot. There's no doubt about that. Um, his progression in the league has just been unreal. I mean, when he came up with the Raptors, and I think he was a rookie in 2016 uh, is when he played with the Raptors. Um, I, you know, I picked up his jersey as I, you know, I was the, the first Raptors jersey I had bought in a long time. The other one was Landry Fields from that I got given to me way back in the day. So Norm Powell was the first one that I actually bought. Uh, with my own hard-earned money, because I, you know, I I looked at him in his rookie year, and he had a super high-flying dunk in the in the playoffs versus the Pacers that year, and he was just one of those guys that I really, you know, loved on the team, and and he really turned into a into a stud, into a stud on the Raptors. But financially, you can't afford him. You gotta, you know, you basically get so that the trade was Norm Powell for Gary Trent Jr. and and Rodney Hood. Um, Gary Trent Jr. is the is the big piece there. I mean, the guy's 22. He's basically a younger Norm Powell. His numbers are very similar to what Powell was putting up in the second, third year of his career. Um, I did like the stat that basically, um, you know, I think it was 20 years or 30, 25 years prior that uh, Gary Trent Jr.'s dad, Gary Trent Sr., was traded from Portland to Toronto. Um, and it was very similar circumstances. So I thought that was really cool. I mean, I actually find that encouraging because his dad played in Toronto, so hopefully he'll want to stick around long-term. Yeah, I mean, the trade just made a ton of sense. The Raps are kind of in a resetting phase, I think, here. The NBA is just such a weird league. The top teams are so far above everyone, so I think the Raptors kind of need to reset here. You can get a younger version of Norm for Norm. I mean, Rodney Hood, I don't think it's going to turn into anything. I don't even know if he's going to play much for the Raps. Makes a lot of sense if you think that uh, this guy can be the next norm and especially a little bit younger, a little bit cheaper. He's definitely one of those guys who I think you had to move off of this trade deadline. Well, and I like the way that you said that. I like how you said reset, not rebuild, right? You're not stripping it down to the studs. And I think that it was pretty obvious that, you know, they they didn't touch any of their core guys. Um, I mean, we haven't even talked about how Lowry was almost traded. Um, wasn't traded, but he basically thought he was going you know, teams didn't pay enough for him, which I think is a mistake if you're a team. But I'm glad I, I'm, you know, we kind of talked on this. We were, I was happy keeping him and I was happy if he left, right? Yeah. The thing about Lowry, though, is if he wanted to move, I would have liked to see them move. I know the Raps didn't get what they were hoping to, but if he wanted to go to a contender, I would have moved him even for a little less. You should have really taken anything because I don't know if he's going to come back next year. I think he's going to go ring chasing for a year or two. I don't know how many years he's going to keep playing. And then, as he said, he's going to come sign that one-day contract, retire as a Raptor. So I'm super happy about that. But I think if he really did want to go to a contender, you should have done something. Even if you're not getting a whole ton, even if it's a second-round pick, something, I think you should have done it. Before we move off of the the Norman into our, into our NHL stuff, I just want to um, – Norm Powell uh, did an article in the Players' Tribune and there was a line that he said that Lowry told him after he had been traded. And basically, Norm was, you know, kind of upset And after the game against Portland. And uh, Lowry said to him, man, you'll always be part of this team's history. And in that, at the end of the article, I just want to read a quick quote that Norm said that I loved. And this is one of the reasons that I love Norm Powell. So quoting from Norm Powell's article in the Players' Tribune, 
Uh, quote, I mean, I hope y'all talk first about Kyle and Damar and Fred and Kawhi and Pascal, uh, Pascal and OG and so many others uh, in reference to the Raptors. I hope y'all talk about them until you run out of voice. But then at some point, just before the end of that conversation, I guess I like to imagine someone chiming in, maybe like, yo, also shout out to Norm. Dude worked his ass off, had nothing handed to him, but he was a grinder. He was tough and he loved being a Raptor. Norm Powell, man. Yeah. He was one of us. I thought that was so cool. Yeah, hearing that quote, super cool. And he always will be. Anybody who was a part of that championship run, we're going to remember. And he definitely had some important games in that series. Milwaukee probably thinks he's the greatest player in the NBA with the way he's played them in the playoffs (laughs) over the couple years. I know they don't want to see any more of him. So, I mean, he's always going to have a special place in any Raptors fan's heart. And, I mean, we hope that he does good in Portland and – really has a successful rest of his career and maybe one day we'll see him in a Raptors uniform again. You never know. Never know. Obviously Norm Powell, we wish you all the best brother and we understand the grind and hope you can get a ring in Portland. Uh, Cam, let's talk about some NHL. Yeah. Well, uh, this week was a little rough for me. I mean, it really wasn't good for either of us, but we'll start with the Oilers Leafs. We both thought the Oilers were going to come out in a little bit of a wrench spot. They were up and the Leafs, clawed their way back and won 4-3 in overtime. Really shouldn't have been much of a game. The Leafs were by far the better team. Just pulling up some of the stats, they were 62% Corsi. The high danger chances were 10-2. Jack Campbell actually kind of let the Leafs down for once. Still got the win. His stats at the end of the day looked fine, but he really, watching that game, the first goal was weak. He really wasn't that good. And Mike Smith played a heck of a game to really help them out. And they still have the two best players arguably in the league, the best player for sure. And you can't let those guys get hot. And that's what happened that game. Well, yeah. And, you know, Leafs, uh, you know, Leafs snuck out that 4-3 victory in overtime. You know, Matthews kind of got a lucky bounce on that overtime goal. I mean, they were down 3-1 with eight minutes to go and came back. And and I don't, the thing that I found encouraging was, especially after they've, you know, they won a couple games in OT, these games have been tight, but they were on a big skid. You know, as you, as you said to me earlier, they were seventh in the NHL or in the North division in March, right? In terms of points four. Yeah. They were tied with the Sens in the month of March or I think since right. March 3rd, they were tied with the Sens. Right. So they had a terrible stretch there, but you know, down two, they just looked really, really confident. You know, John Tavares in the slot, Nylander in the slot, and it just didn't look like they, you know, didn't look like they really wanted to lose that game. As you said, Campbell didn't play his best, but hey, the Leafs goalies have bailed out um, the Leafs the whole year a lot in a lot of games. And so finally, for once, it was nice to see that the Leafs offense said, hey, you know, it's our turn to carry the team. Let's put these guys on our backs and let's go get this win. But unfortunately for our betting and our, uh, our units, we did not get the dub on that one. Yeah, and I think during this entire slide, I mean, the, they lost the next night to or two nights after that to Edmonton anyways. Kind of a similar thing. And during this whole slide, you've seen the Leafs' power play really struggle. They were by far the best in the league there for a while. In the month of March, it's been bad. It's, I think it was ranked like 19th in the month of, month of March. And I think you're kind of realizing that they need somebody to step up on those depth lines. That first line has kind of got hot and cold. Matthews hasn't been scoring as much. I know he's got another one tonight. But without that power play, I think the Leafs, you're still learning that the Leafs are a little flawed, and that's kind of five on five. They're not the greatest team. So I think they got a couple of things to maybe figure out. The seven day quarantine, I think, will make things interesting. Dubas, I think, needs to try and make a move or two here. Because again, this should be an all in, 
year for the Leafs. You don't know what's going to happen in the offseason. I know Campbell's showing some promise, so maybe you're going to trust him as a starter next year. But I think things are a little too tight for them. This division's getting tight, but we'll see what happens up top there. But the Leafs are still in a fine spot. We're good. Moving to the next game, Flames versus Jets. Again, we both took the Jets thinking that they were a much better team and this Flames team just hasn't looked good. But the Flames played really well, actually. Uh, They were by far the better team that game. And surprisingly, Winnipeg's goalie kept them in the game, but it wasn't Hellebuck. It was Lauren Bressois, which I probably would have... Who? Yeah, Lauren Bressois, their backup. He's actually... Unless his name, unless your, unless your name is Connor Hellebuck, I don't know who you are in Winnipeg. Sorry, like the, the same thing with Ottawa. Like Ottawa's had like five different goalies every night. It's like some random ass goalie that they just pulled off of the street because everybody gets hurt, man. Like, but yeah. So anyway, but yeah, Winnipeg, the, they just did not have a good game. Do you have the stats for that game? I don't have all the stats for that game. I didn't look too much into it. I did know the shots were pretty heavy for Calgary. Calgary was a much better team that game. And I mean, it's, I think it's starting to be a little too late for Calgary and Vancouver at this point. You look at the standings now and yeah, Calgary picked up a nice win Saturday, but the standings are just too far now. I think both uh, Calgary and Vancouver are four points behind Montreal for that last spot. Montreal has five games at hand on both of them because of this whole COVID break. Montreal didn't play. If Montreal has really got to start losing a ton of games in a row, for these guys to catch them. And I'm thinking it's starting to be way too much here. Cause even if they win half of those games or pick out five points, you're now like nine points behind and season's running out. So I think this North division is starting to look like it's pretty, we know who one, two, three, four are. We just don't know what issue it's going to, or what, what the order is going to be come the end of the season. So I think that's starting to figure out, but nice win by Calgary. I just don't see it anymore for them. Just makes us 0-2 on that one. As you said, it's a tough one. I mean, again, you know, betting on NHL the week before, I'm we're five for five. I'm five for five. You're you did pretty well. And, you know, we start off 0-2. Now we only we only did bet on three games though. So it's not horrible as long as one we could get a win on our locks. Well, I mean, my locks didn't go well and I we heard from it from a <laughs> listener, Jake, when I uh really wanted the aisles over the pens and we had to heard about it almost instantly Thursday morning. The Isles have made me a ton of money over the last couple of weeks, but the Pens were much better. And the Pens are actually starting to get on a little bit of heater here. Uh, the goaltending's much better. It was really bad to start the year. And the Isles, I mean, you don't know what's going to happen. They're missing their captain. Yeah. And Pittsburgh just came out better that game. I, they still got the talent. It's whether they can get the goaltending or not. So, I mean, I, I, think, I was only... I think that, sorry, I, th- I think that the problem with the Isles too is, is like they had a bit of, um, you know, they were playing pretty well when, when Lee went down, but... It was only a matter of time until the players that they have out, you know, actually affected their, you know, their team. And then, you know, the problem is in a, in a league where, you know, the divisions are that you play the same teams every night. You're going to see teams go through skids, right? If, if the goaltending is bad one week, next week it could be really good. So, yeah, it, it's really hard to guess when one team's going to go in here and one team's just going to pick it up. But, um, hey, I mean, give, give, uh, Credit to Pittsburgh, man. They've they've turned it up, and they always do. End of the year, they always, always do, trying to make that run for the playoffs. Yeah, and I mean, it was a rough week for me, 0 for 3, but I still didn't go 0 for 5, so there's a positive there. Yep, yep, okay, well, I see. I see you're still choosing violence. That's fine. That's fine, because how did I do in my lock, Cam? Do we even need to talk about your lock? 
you could have basically chose any team versus the Sabres. <laughs> I, you took the Bruins over Sabres, and it's the Sabres. I was sweating it, it, though. I was sweating. No, 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 no. I was sweating it. I'm pretty. Were the Sabres not up 2 0 or 1 0? I'm pretty sure they were. I we were we were golfing know. on the weekend at the time, and I was like, "Bro, Sabers are up," and we're like, "Ooh!" And then, uh, nah, nah, Boston's they were, too they good, were, man. Yeah, the Sabers were up two one going into the third, and they blew it. I mean, they blew it even worse the other night against Philly. They were up three nothing going into the nothing. third. Oh my! So gosh, yeah, you I'll... hit your you hit your lock, but I mean, I think anybody could have hit that lock. Just bet against the Sabers. If you bet against the Sabers, if you started the first game of this losing streak with a hundred dollars. And you just bet your winnings every week. After that Philly game the other day, you would have been up to $72,000. <laughs> I mean, nobody's ever going to go against one team in the NHL, especially 17 times in a row and just keep pushing that money in. But that's how ridiculous it is. The Sabres are just bad. I don't well, even know what to say anymore. 4-1 right now. 4-1 with two minutes to go in the second. So I think Philly is going to be uh, plus 11.50 again. So got to hit it. Mid in in game bet on Philly to come back. So yeah, you hit your lock. You went one for three, which, boom, it's one for three. But again, no, I don't no, I don't even no know if I want to count your lock. I don't I don't okay, know. Okay, first of all, I'm pretty sure that you like went for. So the other week you you did a layup against Buffalo too. Yeah, but it got canceled. I didn't even get that game. Yeah, but you still picked it. You still picked it. Don't give me that. You could have picked Buffalo just as well as I did. There so for the year now, this year, this week hurt me. I'm sitting at about 47% overall now, uh, 66% on locks because we've only done them for the last three weeks. You're just sitting over 50%, 52% overall, 100% on your locks though. So, I mean, it's a small sample keep, size, but you're going to go against Detroit and Buffalo every week and not play some of these fun ones. It's going to be, your locks are going to be a lot easier. Hey, listen, when, when you look at the guys doing Sunday football on the panel and they're doing their locks and they're doing their dog and all that stuff, they're like, Oh, lock of the week. We're taking uh Pittsburgh versus Jacksonville. Arr, arr. Like seriously. No, they, they pick the easiest ones. Cause they're the easy ones to pick. Right. So there's no, there's no doubts about that, but I'll, I'll make you a promise this week for my lock. I will not pick a team against Buffalo or a team against Detroit, just so that I can flex my 100% record on you and show you how it's done. All right, so we'll start moving into next week's slate then in the Saturday games. We'll start it off. We got Montreal versus Ottawa. They were supposed to play last week. That got postponed, so they got it on Saturday night. It's the second game of this series. Now, I know that there's one person who listens to our pod who really has been waiting to hear this, Cam. Tell me about what adjective would you use to describe Ottawa in this coming game? Well, before the season, I started talking about the Sens a bunch. I thought they were young. I thought they were going to be better than people thought. I thought they were going to be the pesky Sens. Pesky boy. They've been the pesky Sens all year. (laughs) And they will continue to be the pesky Sens. Other than Edmonton, they are giving everybody a run for their money. Get the fly swatter, baby, because they're pesky. So I'll touch base on this game first, and I'm going to go Habs this game. Montreal is coming off COVID. I expected their first game to go way worse against Edmonton. Edmonton was 5-1 five five and one back-to-backs. Teams out of a COVID break usually sucked. Montreal was good. Carey Price was good. So here's a stat for you, Burke. Carey Price, before Dominic Ducharme took over, 893 save percentage. three Just under three goals against at 2.95. Since Ducharme's taken over, He's got a 921 save percentage and a 216 goals against. 
I mean, there was lots of issues with this team in a couple of games there, but we've said right from the start, Carey Price needed to be better. He has been better. He just got a shutout the other day. He's looking better. Everything seems better with that team when Carey Price is good. So I think they're going to pick up some of these points with these games at hand. So I think they're going to beat the Sens on Saturday. Well, and I, and I, I think the big thing is is that I don't know who the Sens are going to have in net. So, I mean, I automatically know that it's more than likely going to be Carey Price in for Montreal. Even if it's not, it's Jake Allen. We both know that that's a fine goaltending duo. And you got to play goalie roulette in Ottawa. So who knows what, like, who knows? Like, I mean, and they're, they're fourth and fifth goalies have played all right. Like that Gustafson kid or whoever has played good. Um, but, man, I, I just, yeah, they're pesky. I think they've got really lucky, though, honestly. Like, I think they've the, the Ottawa's got really lucky. They, they put up a decent amount of points. Um, but I have a really hard time betting on the Sens. And just in general, they do surprise you. They are, as you said, pesky. But give me Montreal money line. So we'll move into our next game then. The Oilers-Canucks game. That's the other Saturday North Division game. And the Oilers have lost two out of three. And, I mean, they still look good. But they've been shut. They're either score a ton or get shut out that top line. We saw them get shut out a couple times by Toronto. Then they just got shut out the other night by Montreal. If that line doesn't get going, most games they're not going to win, and nobody else seems to be scoring for them still. I still think they're a flawed team. Well, we said that you know a couple of podcasts ago, and we keep beating the same drum, right? And the Leafs proved that if you shut down McDavid, you shut down Drysaddle, you win the game. And, and, and by the way, you don't make stupid mistakes, right? Like you don't make those blue line turnovers and give up two-on-ones or whatever the case is because in the Leafs game on Monday night, it was pretty well obvious that I mean, it was it was three on three overtime, but it was Darnell Nurse and McDavid on a two on one. Like, if you give these guys those kind of those turnover and and on and um, you know quick quick break chances, they're going to score. Uh, but on the flip side of this is is that Vancouver again. Now they, they're missing. You know, Pedersen's been out for a while, and it's actually crazy to me how like this guy's on my fantasy team, so that's hurt me as well. But they have really not. Like when he was playing, even though he didn't put up a ton of points, they actually were pretty efficient and, and they were scary. They had, they had this dynamic to them where they could just come out and score quick, three quick goals, but they, they've just looked really lethargic and just not great recently. Um, I haven't had good luck with puck line, but get me, give me Edmondson puck line. It is a risk, but I think that's going to be a decent line because I think, you know, Vancouver's goaltending has really been, half decent um and frankly the oilers goaltending is kind of a crapshoot but give me uh yeah give me the puck line i am being risky this week i just i just i feel i'm feeling the uh, feeling risky yeah i've kind of gone back and forth on this game the canucks are coming off a bit of a break here because of all the postponements and i think it would they were set for their four or five day break anyways I think getting healthy is going to help them out a bit and if Thatcher Demko can be a difference maker i think that's a big factor uh, kind of been going back and forth, but I am actually going to go Canucks on this one. I think Thatcher Demko is going to steal a game, and I think uh, it's a good value play too. They haven't uh, haven't been great all year, but Thatcher Demko has been good. They still got guys who can put the puck in the net. Their power play can get hot. So I think and value they, play the Canucks money line is probably the way to go on Saturday. And Vancouver just locked them up to, uh, I think that was today, they locked Demko up to a five-year, $5 million deal. It seems like there's some value there if he continues to play the way that he does. 
Yeah, the guy has really only had two or three really good months in the NHL. So you're kind of taking a risk there, but you're taking that risk that guys have taken on like Pasternak or McDavid, or not McDavid, McKinnon, where you're paying a lot right now and it looks kind of like a lot for a guy who's not really proven. But in two years, if he continues this play, it's an absolute steal. And you're looking at him as maybe one of the best contracts in the league. Well, especially so when the, Van- cap, the cap goes up, right? Because the so cap's... That's what Van- the- yeah. Yeah, the cap's got a chance of going up in a couple years here, but that's a huge, huge risk by Vancouver here. You're taking a risk, but it could pay out huge, and I think that's what teams need to start doing a little more. Pay these guys super early, these unproven guys who are show promise. Demko was a top prospect. He was a high draft pick for a goalie. So I think it's I think it's a good risk reward for them. So moving into our last game, I think it's the Sunday game. The Leafs and the Flames get going. Uh where are you going with this one, Burke? Um, I, I again, I don't see as we, as we've kind of touched on the Flames just haven't been as good. Goudreau has not been as good this year. You haven't really heard much from Monahan, and I kind of was preaching this at the start. Now the Leafs have played some close games. Like, don't get me wrong, but I am I'd actually prefer when the Leafs play close games. I think that's better for a team perspective. Because at the start of the year, they were, you know, winning by two goals, three goals, whatever the case is. But now they're playing these tight games. And that's going to bode really well for playoff hockey. Um, I don't think the Flames game is going to be a close game. Unless Markstrom completely stands on his head, I don't think it's going to be close. Because I think the Leafs are going to get rolling here. They, You know, they, they win one out of ten. And I think they're going to, and you know, they lose. They lost on Monday. But, you know, they, they've got points in three straight. Hopefully tonight they're going to get a point. And so you're going to have points in four straight. Saturday is going to be a point in five straight. This one could be a blowout. I'll go conservative, though. I'll take. Uh, I'll just take a Leafs money line on this one. Yeah, I'm the same way. I'm going to go Leafs money line on this. They're a really good team. They haven't been playing great hockey. I think Calgary's a better team than they've played, but the season's just kind of gone now. I don't know if Daryl Sutter's going to get the most out of these guys near the end of the year. You even heard that quote the other day. Goudreau's 500th game. And Sterile Sutter's asked about it, and his only comment was, I hope he has plays a little harder than his 499th. I don't know <laughs> if that's the best way of getting s- these guys going. They don't look that's like Sutter, a very, though, man. They just that's don't just look like a very a complete. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. for sure. They just don't seem like a very complete team right now, and I don't know if I can bet on them. I thought they were going to be better, and I really thought they were going to come through with Sutter, but it doesn't seem to be working, and they have I don't that know coach if it's going to work. Like that coach bump, as we kind of talked about, right? Like they they lost the first one, and then they won a couple after that. And you're like, oh, okay, Sutter's got him going. And then it's it's amazing how quickly that wears off, and you're like, holy moly, man. Like the first couple of games, you're like, oh, I want to prove it to the new coach, this, that, the other thing. And then this guy starts barking in your ear, and you're like, oh, actually, I don't like this that much. Can you get us the old guy back? And, I mean, it, it doesn't really matter. Like if you have a bad team, not even a bad team. If you have an incomplete or a lack of depth team, it doesn't matter who's coaching the team, right? The cream always rises to the top. Your true colors are always going to be shown in a full length of a season. And I think that's what's happening with Calgary right now. Yeah, I just think they're a deeper team and better team than they've been playing, but they're not getting the top end. Talent isn't doing much right now. And some of those depth guys aren't showing up as much as you want, but you're getting like massive games from Mangiapane. Markstrom's look good at times. Their defense is solid. I actually think they're a more complete team than Winnipeg or Edmonton, but oh, something's well, not did clicking have them right. In the top, you did have them in the playoffs, right? You had Edmonton dropping out and Calgary going in. Yeah, and before the year, I had Calgary as the second team in the North. 
but something's not clicking there. Something's wrong. And I'm starting to think at the end of the season, in the summer here, we might see a big change in Calgary and they might have to do a bunch of roster shuffling around. Yeah. They did say that they were interested in, in, you know, if, if they didn't get success that they were looking for was changing that, you know, that core, changing that young core and just mixing it up. And I think the, you know, the same things for the Leafs. I think it's the same for any team, man. If you don't have an, if you don't have success with a core group of players, you can't just keep running the same guys out and putting in different depth players. Like it just doesn't work. You have to, you have to make that significant change. And whether that's bringing a different guy in who like even just doing kind of that one for one. And I think a good example of that is, is like, you know, now it's kind of crappy, but you know, Winnipeg and Columbus, they move line a for Dubois. Right. I mean, those were two cores of a piece. They weren't working in their cities. Now both teams are not, I mean, Winnipeg's obviously better than Columbus. Columbus has been a dumpster fire. Um, I starting to wonder if torts, by the way, is on the hot seat. Maybe we can talk about that later, but um, it's just an example of right. Teams should not be afraid to move core players if they're not getting the results that they were hoping for. Yeah, exactly. So we'll move into the locks then. So I'm curious where you're going with your lock this week. So no, it's great. No buff. Yeah. I'm going to let you go first here. Oh. You said no Detroit or Buffalo. So I have no, no idea gonna... where you're going with this. Well, I, I neither did I, because I already had my lock. Cause I, I, the lightning play the Red Wings. And I think that's at the lock of the century. Actually, I'm pretty sure that they actually play back to back. So I was going to go double lock lightning. I was going to go lightning Saturday, lightning Sunday. Um, but no, I'm a man of my word. I don't I don't want to take the easy road. I'm going to flex my a hundred percent. I'm going to, um, Hmm. I'm not sure if I like the Saturday, the Sunday game is better or the, yeah, I'm not sure which day I like the game is better, but I, my gut feel is I'm going to take on Saturday. Give me the Panthers over the blue jackets. And that'll be my lock of the week. I, I I don't think like the the jackets have just have not been good. Line A's been an absolute disaster there, and I think that the Panthers are going to get Hornquist back that game. I think that'll give them a bit of a boost. So yeah, give me Panthers money line. I think that's my lock of the week. Yeah, so let's touch on it. We kind of mentioned it there. And Torts on the hot seat. I like that lock. I don't think betting on Columbus is a good thought. I mean, if you really want to fade anybody, any game, fading Buffalo, fading Detroit. Columbus is kind of in that next tier. And let's talk about Torts then. I think Torts is a great coach, a guy who can really get teams moving, but he's one of those coaches that I always think has a shelf life. I think he's a great guy to bring in for three, four years. He's going to get that team. He's going to get the most out of the guys. And then I think his message really wears on guys in a hurry. And I think that's what you're seeing with a lot of that core group in Columbus. And right from the start, when they made that trade for Line A, Line A did not seem like a Torts player at all to me. No. And, and and that's one of those things where like Paul Maurice, in my opinion, is way more of a player's coach, right? Like the guy can still be a tough coach, but at the end of the day, like you're comfortable, you you know, you're comfortable dialoguing from what I've heard from players, right? You're comfortable dialoguing with him. He's always in your corner. Um, obviously there's accountability. There's always accountability with head coaches in the NHL. If there's not, then the, you know, the, the, the insane run the asylum, but yeah, I, Torts definitely has an expiry date. I mean, the guy's been around the league for so long though, right? Is and I don't blame Columbus for I mean, they they swept the Lightning 2 years ago. Or Yeah, no, they uh, beat yeah, better 2 years ago. They beat better teams in the playoffs. He's got a lot out of that team who they're a good roster. They're not a great roster, but you beat one of the best regular season teams. You swept them four games. Last year you beat the Leafs. So like there's he's got a the lot out of that team. 
but I think you're just finding that that expiry dates come and I'm thinking at the end of the year, if they can't sneak into that fourth spot in that division, that I think it's the end of torts. Well, and it's too late to do anything now, right? Like they would have had to do something like there's only, you know, for most teams, there's only 19, 20 games left in this season. Like we're almost done here. Like we have a month left. Like I know, like, and again, I'm not trying to bring up the Leafs, but Leafs have 16 games in the next 31 days. They only have, uh, I think 19 games left. So there's, there's a month left of hockey, man. You can't get rid of the coach now. They're stuck with them. But I agree with you. I think if 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 they regress, and they've had success the last two years, but if they regress um, to to the point where they're number one, questioning identity, number two, not performing, um, I mean, better teams have gotten rid of their coach. I mean, the Habs is a great example where the Habs got rid of Julian, and they're much better than Columbus this year. So... That's sometimes a change you got to make. Would not shock me if the offseason, that, uh, that was the chop that came down. Was your lock? Yeah, what do you got? so with my lock of the week, I'm going to go back to the well here. The Islanders have been so good for me oh. all year. They let me down last week, but I'm going to go back. They're playing Philly. Philly is terrible. Carter Hart's really not looked good this season. So that's got to be a lock for me. I'm just going to keep sticking with the Islanders. They've won me more games than not this season. Last week looked bad. Not going against the Pens. Won't have Jake angry at me this week. So just going against the Flyers. And I feel pretty good Boston. about that. I, I still I think the Islanders sure are a really take, good team. I thought for sure you were going to take Boston, honestly. I had that circled. I was like, oh, he's going Boston, right? Just double down against the Pens. No, the other game I was considering was I think the St. Louis Blues aren't very good at the moment. And Colorado's just look so good. They're getting healthy now. And to me, Colorado or Vegas, whoever wins that series, I think is the favorite for the cup to me i know tampa's up there and especially when they get kucherov back but that would be the other place i'd go is colorado they're just such a fun team to watch they're so deep so good what's happened with the blues man it's been brutal recently like they they're losing the team every time i bet on them they lose like you think oh they're playing anaheim that's a lock they they you know i'll hinge my four team parlay on this this should be an easy one you go three for four and the fourth was st louis like what what the hell's happening they can't score they're having issues scoring. Bennington's being average. He's okay. He's not costing them games. But they just can't score when it matters. Their special teams are all not that great. They're 24th in goals allowed, 17th in goals for. They're just a very average team. I mean, we've seen a couple years ago they went on that massive run when they were a very average team. So I wouldn't count them out. But they're a team that I'm not scared to bet at bet against either at the moment especially when you got a team like colorado who's just a massive wagon right now they're so good so let me ask you this question then um so then the year that they won the cup this team is not that dissimilar to that team now obviously they don't have guys like pat maroon and other things like that but the core is pretty much the same so did they just get on a heater on that cup run and then this is just they're just kind of getting exposed like they're just an average team like i don't see anything that's really massively changed their defense. Their defense has massively changed. You've lost two of your top four in Petrangelo and Edmondson. Right. You're learning how good Edmondson is this year in Montreal. I really never knew nothing about, like anything about him. And he's I think he's still leading the league in plus minus. He's really good. And Petrangelo is a really good defenseman. So you take those two out of the mix. You lose two of your top four guys, guys who are playing over 20 minutes. It's going to expose Bennington a little more. So I think that's the big difference. And you realize the better your D is, the more time you can spend in the opposing end, which adds to goals. So I think those are the kind of the big reasons why they've fallen off this year. 
we'll see. They still got some good talent. Tarasenko, O'Reilly are still nice players. Pareko's good on the back end. And Bennington showed he can get hot. So I wouldn't count them out. But again, I'm not scared to bet on them. You're not scared to bet on them or you are scared to bet on them? Or I'm not scared to bet against them. Sorry. That's uh, okay. how I meant to put that. Okay. No, it's okay. Because I was like, oh, you just tr- trash. We just spent five minutes trashing them. And then we're now we're betting on them. So no, it's all good. I mean, I agree with you, man. Like I just, for me, it's, it's something that it's, it's one of those stay away. Right. Like you, you look at a slate and you're like, okay, who am I throwing in a parlay today? Or who, who's, who am I comfortable with? And three or four weeks ago, I was like, yeah, okay, I'm comfortable with this. And then they started biting me in the ass. And now I'm like, I'm skittish of them. Every time it comes up, even against a crappy team like Anaheim, I'm like, oh man, like, I just don't know. I'm like, I'm starting to get tempted to just take the plus money against them because it seems like it, it cashes more often than not. But I guess we'll we'll see how that shakes out. So that's kind of it for a recap. I kind of wanted to talk this over with you as well, Burke. We kind of mentioned it earlier, but this North Division's kind of looking like it's over for the playoff seeds. I mean, things can change. Everyone still plays each other a lot with this weird season. So what are your thoughts on kind of how the playoffs are looking right now? I mean, Montreal does have a better points percentage than Edmonton, so you can kind of swap them in and out for 3-4. But how are you feeling as a Leafs fan? Out of those four teams, who do you want to see in the first round? Um, you know, I, I don't think I'm really scared of any team in the first round, frankly. I mean, that sounds like a cocky thing to say, but I, I just think that the Leafs match up against everybody. If I had to pick one, um, I don't really want to play Montreal in the first round. I mean, I'd love to see it as a fan. And it'd be awesome for you and I. I mean, podcast material would be unreal. Be, we'd be going back and forth for two weeks about this series, and there'd be chirps. Like, we might have to, like, shut it down for a week because we'll be so pissed off at certain things that happen. But, you know, like, I just think that that's one team that they've shown this year that, you know, that it can go either way. And you could argue the same with Edmonton. Well, Edmonton's been played close. I, man, I don't know. I just, you know, in the, in the games that they played Edmonton, back-to-back games, they went to OT. Leafs got one. Edmonton got one. And I frankly think that the Leafs probably should have had, they probably should have had two, but, um, you know, Edmonton's goalies played well. And again, even Winnipeg, like I, I'm not really that afraid of, of Winnipeg. Um, so, so that kind of answers that question. Now I'll, I'll ask you the same thing, but before, like, we'll get to that in a second. The, the, actually, no, let's, let's do that first. So who would you like if 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 the Habs are like would you like them or would you prefer them to be in fourth or do you want them to slide up to three or two or where do you want them to end up because they're not they're not ending up in one I don't I don't think no I don't think they're gonna end up in one I think any of those three teams underneath can kind of move around you never know if they win three games in a row against Toronto in that second to last series now with the changes then they could slide all the way up definitely if I was choosing any team I'd like to play I think it's Edmonton I think they're the most flawed overall and as a Toronto fan, I think that's where you'd want to see. You saw the way that Toronto yeah. handled them in the three games. You even watched this last series. That's got to be the team you want to play. I mean, I think the most likely outcome to me is you got Toronto, Edmonton in the first round, Montreal, Winnipeg. And I, I think Montreal and Toronto are the better two teams out of those. I think they're the most complete teams. I mean, I might be completely off with Montreal being a Habs fan, but I just think they're the best two teams in the North Division, with most complete teams at least. So, and I mean... I think we'd both be really happy to see that in the kind of division finals there, second round. And oh, yeah. I think it would be the most exciting to have tr- – you got Toronto-Edmonton first round, then you got Montreal-Toronto second round. I just think that's great for hockey, and it would be a great playoffs. 
Well, I think that that's the one nice thing about the North Division, right? Like everybody's talked about how sick they are of, you know, well, we always have to play the same teams in the same division, blah, blah, blah. North Division's getting old. I think that all goes away when it comes to playoff time because playoff hockey is going to be unreal. In my opinion, I don't care what, like what team plays who, honestly. And there's so much riding on this, right? Not for every team, but like for Edmonton and Toronto, and, you know, there's a lot riding on this because Edmonton has not had the playoff success. And, you know, where we live, it's very, it's very leaf centric. So we know that, you know, they, this is the year they have to do something. If they don't, there's massive change coming and who knows what's going to happen is Dubas out or no, I don't, I think Dubas will be around, but is that, that core is going to get changed. Like something's going to have to get changed. Pieces will be moving. There's a big free agency this year. So something's got to get done, but I think Edmonton is the exact same. The only difference I see there is that I think Edmonton, <clears throat> excuse me, Edmonton's core is, is just different. I just don't think that they have the same core of players. I think they've got corner pieces. They've got Dreisaitl and McDavid and Darnell Nurse has been really good this year. Um, both those teams need success, though. So it makes it really interesting. My second question, or my, my the main question I have for you, though, is, is that, so you look at the points for it. So Montreal's five games up on on Calgary. And, and you know, the, the, the topic of this was, is the four teams locked in? You know, Calgary's got, eight games left or 18 games left. Sorry. And they're let's just assume that Montreal wins half of their five games back of Edmonton. So the Montreal's played 32. So Calgary and Edmonton have played the same amount of games and Calgary's 10 points back. I, I don't see any scenario with 18 games left that, that Calgary and same with Vancouver, Calgary and Vancouver are tied. I don't see any scenario where they're catching Edmonton with t- 10 points back with that many games. And because they're like to basically for Calgary or Vancouver to make the playoffs, as you said earlier, Montreal either has to go on a massive skid and lose all five of those games they have in hand, or even half of three, 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 you know, 60% of them or Calgary or Vancouver has to go on a heater. And I just don't see it happening. So here I got some stats in regards to that whole thing for you. Hit me with it. So Montreal and Edmonton are on pace for 68 points in the league. So that puts Calgary and Vancouver each have 19 games left, which would put them at a max of 38 points. So they need 33 out of 38 points going down the stretch to get to that 68-point mark. So they can only lose five points the rest of the season. No chance. So if you just do that based on math and projections and what Edmonton and Montreal are on pace for and have done this season, there's no chance here. Even if Montreal loses all five of these games at hand, they're still four points up. So, unfortunately, I think it's it for Calgary and Vancouver. The math is just too hard. I mean, they're not officially eliminated yet, but it's, it's all coming, but though. done. It's coming quick, though. Like, that's the thing. There's only 18 games left, and we literally have, like, I think the playoffs are scheduled to start, what, the second week of May? Is that the idea? Yeah. So, we're, like, it's coming down to that crunch time, right? And, you know... The last thing that I that I really want to touch on NHL wise, especially in the North Division here, is, and again, it's a little Leaf centric, but the Leafs uh, goaltending has been, it's been kind of a shit show the last couple of weeks. Freddie's been out since March nineteenth. Campbell can't play two games in a row. I don't know what his injury is, and you've got Hutch, who's been okay this year. He hasn't been a rock star by any means, but he's been okay. Um, he's got a shutout. Um, could you see a scenario? where the Leafs look at this and say, 
All right, so we've got the trade deadline coming up. Freddie's not 100%. Can we put him on long-term injured reserve, get him into the playoffs, and use that cap space and get somebody on this team? Like Lightning are going to do that with Kucherov. Kucherov will be back for the playoffs more than likely, and they're going to use that space, all that cap space. Do you think that the Leafs have faith in Campbell and faith in Hutch? I think there's faith in Campbell if he stays healthy. But do they have the, the kind of the stones to basically say to Anderson, hey, t- and does it make sense to say, hey, take the next month off, get 100% completely healthy. Let us bring in some extra pieces with your cap space. Come back for the playoffs and let's go get a cup. Yeah, the only thing is I don't know if you really want to do that with a goalie. Being that cold for that long is a lot tougher. So then I think you're putting all your marbles basically with Campbell. Do you think Campbell can be the guy come playoffs to get it done? No. I don't think so. He, the guy hasn't even played 100 NHL games yet. If so, you don't have Freddie, you're not winning a cup. Like I just that, That's how I look at it. I, I could see a scenario, and like you know, Leafs Nation's always chattering because that's all they do. The pigeons, they just chatter, and they squawk back and forth all the time. But um, it's like, oh, we need to go out and get a goalie. I'm like, man, like I there, there is some truth to that in the sense where if, if you don't think that Freddie's going to be back in the next month, does it make sense? But I don't know what assets you move for that. I don't think that there's a slew like like somebody was like go get Kemper. I'm like, what? How? Why? Like, what? How is that any much better than Campbell and how Campbell's been this year? So I don't know, man. It's an interesting thought though. Yeah, I think my ideal scenario for the Leafs has to be let Anderson get healthy. If he needs a couple extra weeks, I know Leafs fans hate Hutch because he was terrible last year for them. He's been decent this year. He had one off game. He was good where he went last year. He was good in Winnipeg before he came to Toronto. So I think you kind of run with the Campbell as kind of your starter. You need to get Hutch in some of these games to not push Campbell too much. And then when Anderson's back, give him that extra rest if he needs to. Run a 1A, 1B tandem. Run them both. Because you've realized Campbell can't play that many games in a row, stay healthy. You can't trust him to. Anderson needs to get healthy. He needs to get in a groove. So I think you basically run it like something like Boston does with Rask and Halak, where you're basically running them every other game if the guy has a really good game feels good maybe give him a second game but basically run both of them till the end of the year maybe one of the games gets super hot come playoffs and you got to make that decision but that's kind of my ideal scenario and i think what the Leafs should do well and i it's it's interesting i mean how, how close is the trade deadline here a couple weeks yeah it's sneaking up on us quickly here it's actually kind of crazy how late it is Right, because there's only a month left in the season. I know there's a ton of games, and it's based off of you know percentage of games. But usually, the trade deadline's what beginning of March. Yeah, it's still based on the percentage of games. But when it's such condensed end of the season, it it's seems like a ridiculous. month before. It's like it's like like by the time I know there's a the, the, you know thankfully it's only a seven day quarantine period. But man, like a, like a trade comes in, and like you got three weeks before the playoffs to get this player, and it's gonna be wild. Like I I this could be either it's gonna go two ways. This this. Uh, trade deadline day it's going to be either wild or it's going to be super lame and nobody's going to move right that i don't see it being like oh we're going to move you know there's probably like 10 11 trades i think there's like either very very few now the u.s might be an outlier there because they don't have to do their quarantine as much and all that blah 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 but again focusing on the north division um none of these teams are probably really going to want to trade with each other frankly Ottawa's not going to move anybody because they're a young team rebuilding. They have no expectations. So they're not going to be sellers. Vancouver went on a run last year. So I don't, and they've already lost guys in the free agency. So I don't think they're going to be sellers. Calgary was supposed to be right there. So if they're going to move anybody, I think they're going to move them. They still have aspirations of making it. So I don't think they're moving anybody. 
And then you have four teams who are in playoff spots who possibly are looking to add. So I don't feel like the, the only place that these teams in the North Division can go is south of the border. Yeah, and that's part of the reason. Even with the seven-day quarantine, it's not as bad as the 14-day. But I think most of the trades are going to happen this week. I think this is the big week for teams to make trades because you want to get these guys up here as quick as you can to get into the system, to get into practices, and really start to get them involved with the team. So I think between now and our next pod next week, I think if the North Division teams are going to be busy, it's probably going to happen then. I could be wrong. There could be some last-minute deals. Teams are trying to get bidding wars. But I think ideally the teams like Toronto or Edmonton, even Montreal, I don't see them doing anything anymore, are going to make deals this week. Yeah, I think it's it's time and the clock's ticking down. And actually, speaking of next week's podcast, it is going to be exciting. We probably might not do too much hockey team next week because it's well, Masters it's, week, baby. Yeah, how much I love the NHL. I love the NFL. I love pretty much every sport. There's one weekend every year that stands out to me, and it's Masters Week. There's nothing better than watching it. It's my favorite course to watch. The things I do to play number 12 there at Augusta to play Amen Corner. So it'll be exciting. We'll definitely talk some betting, who we think is going to finish some top 10, maybe a couple flyers for the winners, and it'll be exciting. It's my favorite weekend in sports all year round. Well, and it's interesting too, because usually we come out with one podcast. I think we might release it a little early next week because Masters starts on Thursday. So we want to make sure that you guys get your info, get your betting ready to go for the this Masters preview a day early. So hopefully we're going to be able to release that on Wednesday for you. But I was thinking, and we don't know yet, but there may be a surprise, not emergency podcast, but you know, you never know. We might slide a little something in after the tournament's over, depending on what happens. I mean, if it's a really boring finish, maybe not. But, hey, if we get some fireworks and we got something to talk about, that's something to consider. So stay tuned for that. So we got one last place to touch on. And when you're listening to this, either the game's happened, the start of the season's happened, or it's going to happen later today. The Jays season starts on Thursday. They're facing the Yankees to start the year, and it still should be an exciting year for the Jays. They got one of the best. Blue Jays, let's play ball. Sorry. No, I loved it. Great. (laughs) I'm excited. I mean, it's another disappointing year. There's nothing better in the summer than going down to a Jays game, dome open, beer in hand. But we'll have to live through another year. Hopefully they can keep it exciting for us. They got an exciting team this year. A couple injuries that are kind of – Hurting the team already. Kirby Yates, the guy they brought in to be their big closer, done for the year. Tommy John surgery. George Springer's going to start the year on the IL. And Nate Pearson's going to start the year on the IL. So it's a little disappointing that way, but they still got a super exciting team. We got Ryu on the mound tomorrow, and he's coming off a Cy Young nomination last year. So this team's still exciting. One o'clock start, Yankee Stadium, man. Like, it, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those things where, you know, you hate sometimes as a, you know, with baseball, they start that midday start. But if you can tune in for, for the opening game, it's going to be really exciting. And and they've looked good in spring training, man. Their bats have been unreal. They're, they, Vladdy is, has lost 40 pounds in the offseason. Like, this guy is thinned out. They're looking really solid in the infield. And, and in, in Grapefruit League, they were making less mistakes. And I think that was the big thing from last year is they made a ton of infield errors and errors in the outfield. And, it cost them a bunch of runs. I don't think bats was really a problem last year. I mean, they've definitely beefed the bats up for sure. Um, and their lineup is is gross. Like their batting lineup is disgusting. I don't know what pitcher wants to go throw to those guys. You know, one to nine, it's 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 nuts. But 
yeah, cleaning up yeah, the well, errors could, in the infield. Yeah, and they brought in Marcus Simeon to try and help with that, and they're moving guys around. Guerrero's been the big story of spring training. This guy lost the weight. He's finally realized that he has to make a change. He's one of the highly te- most highly touted prospects maybe in the last 20, 30 years, and he's really been – He's still been really good if you look at his stats. He's been super disappointing, but he's actually been a really good major leader. He's still above average, but we expect him to be the best player on this team, and he hasn't been. So let's see the difference he can make this year. When he got guys like Bichette, you got Biggio, and now you bring in a guy like George Springer who moves right to the top of that lineup, moves to your number one player on the team. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be scary for teams to face. They should be in the playoff race all year round. We'll see. They got some moves to make in the bullpen, still figuring out that. But it's exciting. And, I mean, we've seen how exciting this country can get when the Jays are good. It'll be a little different with them not up in this country. But it's still, let's let's have a really good year and keep the exciting baseball because we won't get the excitement of them being in Toronto. Well, and who, and who knows, man? Like, if, if they can make the playoffs and they're playing a full 162-game season, that's something else that we haven't mentioned right like last year was it was a short season they they started late it was like if you lost two three games in a series it was over like you had to get games done like like there was only a certain amount so you had to get wins quick longer season this year if they're playing october baseball you never know depending how vaccinations go depending where we're at with this whole pandemic thing you could see blue jays baseball at the rogers center in the playoffs who knows let's keep our hopes for that well, that was the thing. Mark Shapiro said they're starting the year in Dunedin, so they're going to start in Florida. He's hoping that they're going to be up in Buffalo when it gets a little warmer. And then they're still somewhat hopeful that by the end of the year, they'll be playing in Toronto. So three different stadiums that they'll be playing in. But it's exciting. So I got just one quick question for you, Burke, Yep. to touch on these Jays. With Springer out to start the year, who do you see leading the Jays in home runs by the end of the season? Oh. We got a couple. We got lots of options here. Hernandez, Gurriel... Biggio, Bichette, Guerrero, even Telez could be considered in that. Where who do you see leading the team in home runs at the end of the season? Jeez, man, who had the most last year? Was it Hernandez? T Oscar had a ton, I think, right? Like he he was smashing baseballs all year. So um Man, I that's a really tough one. I mean, I think Springer's the obvious one. If he if he's only out for two, three games, I still think Springer hits the most. But would you be surprised to see Vladdy hit 40-plus this year? Because I don't think I would. No, that's my big dark horse. That's who I'm hoping for. I don't know if it'll happen, but that's my big hope. And then I think Bichette's going to be the other guy who takes a massive step this season and really starts hitting the ball a lot harder. I just love that. And again, like this is kind of the last thing, but I love that free agents are not afraid to start signing in Toronto. I think that that's been... And, you know, Atkins and Shapiro have been under the have been under fire for everybody forever saying, oh, we don't, you know, Jays don't spend money. Rogers is a terrible owner. Nobody wants to come play baseball in Toronto. And you got Springer to come. Now you paid him a lot of money, but you're, everybody's paying him a lot of money. The craziest thing about Springer signing here is he signed, he was the biggest free agent this year. He signed in Toronto, not even knowing where they were playing this season. Yep. Like that just shows how good of an organization this is. This guy's willing to step in, be like, yeah, I see the team you got. I see the organization you got. I don't care where you're playing this season. I want to be a part of it. And yep. that's so awesome to see, not just for now and these next couple of years, but even long-term, 10 years from now, if they set up this organization to succeed for the future, that's huge. This is just like the raps, man. If you build the culture 
and you build a system and the, you know, the, the, the money they pumped into Dunedin and their training facility and, and the core that they've built, if you build it, they will come. And, and, you know, guys like to be drafted to Toronto and the Raptors. Now guys don't mind playing there. You know, 10 years ago, people hated playing for Toronto. It's too cold. It's just that and the other thing. If you build a contender team and you build a culture, and this is the same in any, anywhere, like all that other stuff goes away. Most players in professional sports want to win. Some don't. Some just want the payout. Most want to win. You build a culture of winning and the, and the winners will come and join you. Yeah, so let's get excited for this Jays season. It's going to be fun. Kicks off today, tomorrow, whenever. Maybe it kicked off yesterday when you're listening to this podcast. I'm covering all bases instead of just saying good afternoon or whatever, Burke. Yeah, it's Wednesday, baby. Jays play tomorrow. Let's go. If there's uh, anything else you got, Cam, before we let us, uh, till we sign it off, till our Masters preview next week. No, I'm just getting excited for that. If you want to watch a little golf this weekend, guy to pull for is Ricky Fowler. He's not in the Masters field, which is crazy if you've watched Ricky over the years. He's really fallen off, not playing great golf. He's playing this week at the Valero Texas Open, trying to win it so he can qualify for the Masters. So I'm pulling for Ricky. He's just such a good guy, such a good, charismatic guy, good for the fans, good for everybody. So I'm hoping Ricky can pull it off this weekend, and we'll see him at Augusta. Okay, Ricky, let's make the Masters. I got baseball on the brain, baby. As always, you can follow us at Over Six Sports on Twitter. Drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. Share us with a friend. Do anything like that. We obviously appreciate the love. Once again, keep uh, keep tuned. We got exciting stuff coming up next week, as we uh, have already mentioned, is our uh, Masters preview. Cam and I are both super excited for that. We've got some exciting uh, Over Six news coming down the pipe. Don't know when we're going to release that but stay tuned to our twitter once again at over six sports and you can follow myself at zach burke over six and at c charlton turf uh on twitter as well uh and as always for the over six sports podcast i am zach the bandit burke and with me the turf king cameron charlton still not agreeing to that yes you are you are now the turf king thanks everybody for listening and we'll chat next week